Welcome to the On The Air podcast for October 2022. I'm Becky Schoenfeld, W1BXY, the editor of On The Air magazine. Today, I'm talking with Ark Thames, W4CPD, who contributed an article to the September-October issue of On The Air entitled Basic Gear for Public Service. ARC is the Section Emergency Coordinator of ARL's Northern Florida Section, as well as Emergency Coordinator of Santa Rosa County, Florida. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me, Becky. Glad to be here. So I wanted to go into some of the points you make in your article in the hope of giving on the ears readers some more practical information about what kind of gear to pick up as they're beginning to be active in amateur radio public service. In the article, you mentioned that some ARIES teams will provide gear for deployments, but it is, of course, a good idea for hams to have their own equipment um, in case they need to deploy to a location that's farther out or if they want to be practicing their skills between deployments, with the, which, of course, they should be doing. Um, and usually the first thing that people think of in terms of public service gear is a a VHF UHF handheld. Can you talk a little bit about the level of handheld that would be adequate for a ham who's just beginning to get involved in amateur radio public service? What kinds of features are essential? What kinds of features might be nice to have? And, and what's maybe really not as necessary or, or just if you're involved in specialized specialized stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the the prices of handhelds can vary wildly these days, but uh, a lot of folks, I know myself included, when I got started, you know, wants to go out and buy the most expensive, but that's not necessarily uh, needed. Uh, The biggest thing that you want to look out for when purchasing a handheld, especially your first handheld, is find one that's easy to program. Uh, And knowing how to program your radio is a very essential skill. It's mentioned in our ARIES task books that we use, uh, but it's needed because if you do end up deploying to another location, you may have to program that radio on the fly while you're there in that deployment location based upon what frequencies they're using. You may or may not get those frequencies ahead of time before you go. You might not be able to use your laptop and your programming cable and all that. So even though I like to use programming cables myself, you still want to have a radio that you can program via the faceplate of that radio and know how to use it well in those situations. The other thing I like to mention is, especially if you're getting something just to even use in your local area, you want to reach out to your local ARIES team and find out what systems they are using. I know DMR DMR is very popular in a lot of areas, a lot of teams using that. Uh, Here in Santa Rosa County in particular, we we standardize on just standard analog uh, VHF and UHF communications. However, we do have fusion-capable radio and fusion-capable repeaters, so we could actually use those to send pictures back and forth to the emergency operations center if needed. So it really depends on on where you're at as far as what they like you to have. But at the end of the day, when all else fails, the analog is the go-to. Yeah, you mentioned in the article that um, that analog does tend to be the go-to. So if somebody is in an area where there is digital capability and and they're using that and they happen not to have a radio that has the, they happen to have a radio that is only analog um, will that person still be able to serve will will they be able to to participate 
Yeah, just depending on the type of repeater that's in use. So if it is a organization that's using a DMR repeater, they are digital only. So you can't send an analog signal via a DMR repeater unless it's one that's set up in buy mode that's by a third party. Um, the fusion repeaters, the reason those are so wildly popular is that uh, they have the capability to work in analog and digital. So whichever uh, radio transmits can be used. And uh, most recently, D-Star, the newer D-Star repeaters can actually do that same thing where they are both analog and digital capable, so the repeater will support either. Um, when you're out in the field, um, what are you seeing in terms of the handhelds people are using? Are people tending to, to keep it real and, and staying within um, features that are realistic and prices that are sort of within their means? Or you see people going overboard with a lot of bells and whistles? It really varies. Um, it, you know, you can you can have a group of hams show up to an Aries meeting, and and you've got all the way down from the the most affordable, you know, the cheapest of the radios to the most expensive. It varies wildly, you know, just depending on how much that person uh, wants to spend. The thing I like to tell people is, again, don't think you have to spend all that money to get started. Start where you can. Start where you are. Start now. You don't have to wait until you can afford the most expensive radio to get involved with your local Aries team. Great. And in terms of the programming, um, you mentioned the, uh, you know, doing it via um, hooking it up to your computer and, and doing it that way. Um, I know that programming can be really tricky uh, with going into submenus and all that kind of stuff. Um, do you know of any resources that folks can use to get help beyond their, uh, their radio's instruction manuals? So, I mean, Google is always your friend. Um, there are several companies as well that send what I like to call cliff, uh, sell cliff note versions of the manual that are kind of a dumbed down instead of the, you know, the, the 90 or 100 page manual. It's a couple pages that you can quickly carry with you. Um, so I recommend those a lot. Uh, you can always as well print out you know, just the relevant pages to programming your radio that you can keep with your radio at all times. Uh, for me personally, I like the radios with the touch screens because they do tend to be a little bit easier to program. But again, as long as you're comfortable with programming it, you can use the radio. It's just making sure that you are uh, making sure that you are uh, aware of how to do that should you need to. I wanted to move on to something else you talked about in your article, um, the TNC, the Terminal Node Controller. Um, which hams can add to the radio to provide functionality like packet and windlink. Um, if a radio doesn't have a TNC built in, how easy or difficult is it to, to um, get this capability from an external TNC? What kind of knowledge or skills does a person have to have in order to be able to do this? So they've actually made it a lot easier, it, actually, in recent months. So um, there are several companies now that offer a third-party TNC that's just a matter of plugging a couple or a single, depending on the radio, uh, cable into your uh, handheld or, or mobile radio, whichever it may be, and then connecting a single USB cable over to your computer or even uh, do it via Bluetooth. So they've made that 
a ton easier than it used to be, uh, especially for mobile use, you know, out, being out there in the field, you know, set up at a, a shelter or something like that. You don't have necessarily a, a base station radio to use. Uh, they have made those readily available, semi-affordable uh, for the most part. And it's a great way to take a more affordable handheld and add that additional functionality uh, to be able to do things like Winlink, to be able to send email messages or ICS forms from incident command over the air or use it with APRS for location tracking. Oh, that's great. So you say affordable. About how much can people expect to spend? In the $100 to $150 range, if not less in some cases. Before we wrap up, I wanted to ask about um, the work that you are doing in Florida in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. Um, I know that there's uh, a lot still going on down there with... uh, with recovery and cleanup from that. What kinds of things have HAMS been doing in Florida? What what have you been involved in with that? Yeah, so thankfully, we've actually got a very good relationship with most of our served agencies throughout the state, the county EOCs and and various hospitals, but also a a very good relationship with the State Division of Emergency Management and their communications team. Uh, I also act as the amateur radio liaison to the state uh, in coordination with another gentleman here in the state that's the uh, OXCOM coordinator. So both of us were involved from day one on preparing a response for a communications outage. So uh, one of the things that we did was activate an HF uh, emergency net uh, on the air to be able to allow EOCs that may lose their local communication uh, capability to be able to reach the state EOC. Florida also has a statewide repeater network uh, called SARnet, and that was also active during the storm, allowing those emergency operations centers to be able to communicate with each other and to the state EOC. So we staffed not only the HF emergency net and the uh, SARnet, but we also had volunteer operators from Leon County and Tallahassee that uh, staffed the radio room there at the state EOC to be able to take that traffic from HF and from the SARnet uh, and relay it to the team there at the Emergency Operations Center in Tallahassee. Great. And uh, and before uh, we started recording, you told me a story about uh, a rescue that hams were involved in on Sanibel. Yeah, absolutely. Fox News actually uh, just recently covered this yesterday, and I had just found out about the story, and it dawned on me that I was actually involved in that. But uh, yes, there was a ham up in uh, Maryland who had some friends that lived on Sanibel Island, which is one of the areas that was totally devastated by Hurricane Ian. Um, And he contacted our HF emergency net. He had been listening to it before, and they lost contact with their friends that were down there in Sanibel Island. Uh, So he contacted our net control station on the HF emergency net, uh, who then uh, gathered all the information reached out to me, and then I was able to, via our statewide repeater network, reach out to the Lee County Emergency Operations Center, pass their information on to them, who then relayed it to their local uh, search and rescue team, and they ended up getting rescued uh, based off of that traffic that was passed via amateur radio. Wow, that's amazing. I have uh, a friend who whose father has a house on Sanibel, and, uh, and he's been told that, that he can't have access to the island for possibly a year. Um, so that's amazing that you were able to, to help get folks out of there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, um, I mentioned briefly there our relationship. That's one of the the other non-gear related things that is so important uh, for amateur radio emergency service uh, areas as a whole and being able to serve an agency such as an emergency operations center for a county or the state. You know, it's so important to establish a good working relationship. Uh, The agencies want to have folks that they can depend on and know that they're going to be professional acting in those situations. It's it's so critical to leave the my my radio club can do it better than your radio club and all that 
kind of stuff out of the agency. The agency doesn't want to deal with that. So it's so important to follow the, the you know the right chain of command when dealing with those situations. Resolve it amongst yourselves and always be professional because the emergency operations centers that we go into are professional agencies and they expect professional behavior and dress. So it's it's critical to make sure we maintain those relationships. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like uh, you and, and the hams down there are doing some good work. Thanks very much for that. Absolutely. We're glad to do it. That's why we do it. And thanks for taking the time to talk to me today um, and to give on the air readers and on the air podcast listeners uh, a closer look at what it takes to be involved in amateur radio public service. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. 73. 73.